My dear friend Chris Pugh is back on the show today to continue our talk about suicide prevention and suicide awareness. Uh, today we're going to approach the subject from the uh, societal standpoint, so how society views um, suicide um, or the falseness of the way we feel society views suicide. A lot of the, um, the stressors and the depression and anxiety states that lead us to uh, these states of um, attempting to or thinking about suicide and some of the ways that we can um, decode that and to become vulnerable with our own emotions and be able to talk about what we're going through so it doesn't come to something as dramatic as an attempt to suicide. Really appreciate Chris and his time and his ability to share his uh, knowledge about this sensitive subject and uh, normalizing these type of conversations so they don't become so sensitive and maybe we can get in front of some of this. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. We'll see you on the other side. But first, a message from our sponsor. Our healing journey can be difficult and might feel lonely at times. That's why I love sound baths. Where we can get together in a community, we intrinsically support and feel supported by others. And that combined energy can help us go deeper into our own healing journeys. And all you have to do is just lay there for one hour and listen to beautiful healing sounds. I'm a sound healing practitioner, and I hold sound baths on a regular basis in the greater Seattle area. You can find my next sound baths on my website at adamrealhealing.com. That's Adam, A-D-A-M, real, R-I-E-H-L, healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, dot com. AdamRealHealing.com. Your healing is worth your time. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Chris Pugh. All right, welcome back to our show. Uh, today I have a repeat guest. Uh, Mr. Chris Pugh is back. Uh, Chris is a dear friend of mine and also a clinical therapist. Uh, so this whole month of September is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month, so we are uh, bringing on guests to talk about this subject, uh, trying to help normalize the, the idea that suicide, um, uh, suicidal thoughts and suicidal mentalities are not abnormal. And so the more we can kind of talk about this, we can bring it out to light. People can openly talk about these conversations, and then we might not act on it as much. Um, so I want to start off with a uh, quote um, that, I, that it kind of spoke to me uh, when I was looking into this subject, and it's, uh, it's not that the person wants to die, it's that they don't know how to live. And so that really spoke to me because, you know, I, I mentioned on the previous episode, like I've had suicidal thoughts, and, I, you know, and I, again, I don't think that's abnormal to the mass populace. Um, whether or not we act on them is a different thing. And, uh, and I can honestly say that when I read this quote, that, that resonated deeply with me because it's not like, it's not that I wanted to die. I don't want to leave this world. I don't want to leave my kids. I don't want to leave like my family, all this stuff that's got going on, but I just don't know how to exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I don't know how to like get myself out of bed and fulfill my responsibilities or see the joy in like, you know, my child's face or whatever it is, you know? So, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, part of this is, is reestablishing hope, mm -hmm. you know? And I think we, we talked about that a little bit right before we hit record, but Hope is one of those things that, you know, when we lose hope, that's a lot of, that's a lot of that despair where that starts to come in. So, um, so Chris, like I said, Chris is a clinical therapist. He's been on the show before. We've had great conversations. I love talking with you. I mean, this is kind of a, um, a sensitive subject to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, but I figured your, um, your beautiful knowledge and, um, uh, clinical base that you have with this 
coupled with our relationship of jocularity uh, might lighten this subject a little bit and give us that opportunity to um, to not be, you know, this is a serious subject, but not be so serious about it. Sure. Because I think that's where some of that, um, the scaredness to talk about this stuff is, is that it's such a heavy subject and that a lot of people react in a very like, oh my God, red flags up, let's call everybody, everything's wrong, how can I fix you, you know, kind of mentality. Yeah. And that yeah. can kind of be disparaging to the person that just said, hey, I'm having these type of thoughts. Well, I think there's one thing that, I, first of all, I want to say that I appreciate what you said about being vulnerable in terms of just talking about it with your own experience. I mean, I'm in the same boat. I've, I've had the thoughts too. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where a lot of this normalization needs to happen with this dialogue and this awareness is that like, you know, it's not, it doesn't make you bad or toxic or less than if you have those thoughts, mm. right? There's 7.2 billion people on the planet or whatever the hell the number is right now. I mean, like you, you take a, you know, writing statistic of how many people have had those kind of thoughts. My God, it's going to be in the billions, right? Right. We are human beings, especially in our climate today where we live in this world where it's very much, there's a lot of toxicity around and there's a lot, you know, still in this pandemic where there's a lot of isolation, there's a lot of, you know, kind of mental fatigue that comes with things. Mm. Um, and so being able to just kind of like have this vulnerability of saying like, yep, this is, I have, I have had these thoughts go through my mind, mm. um, but let's talk about them. Yeah. Um, I really also like what you said about this essence of being able to kind of, you know, not want to die, but just figure out how to live. Right. Right. And that is something that is, is so crucial with this conversation, right? Um, you know, because you're addressing, well, one, right, what does that look like for you? Mm -hmm. What does a life worth living look like for you? Right. It's going to be different for every single human. 100%. You know? Yep. 100%. Yeah, I think you, uh, there's something you mentioned, mental fatigue. You know, mental fatigue is so, like, I don't think we've given enough merit to how strong mental fatigue is debilitating to us. Um, there's, a, there's a study done a while back about people that, um, that live uh, with a, a type of mental fatigue, let's say, uh, not knowing where their next paycheck's coming from, living in poverty. Yep. And uh, if you're constantly living in that state, your IQ drops by 13 points, which puts you in a point of intoxication. Mm -hmm. So just imagine every single decision you're making in life about your life, about your kid's life, about the society you're living in, everything, you're doing it from a haze of intoxication, even though you haven't had to drink, any drugs, anything like that, you know, and that's what mental fatigue can do to us. And we like, we, so we end up making decisions we don't even realize we're doing and we don't even realize the full impact of because we can't think straight. We literally can't think straight, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, when we have that mental fatigue and that couples with the thoughts of despair and depression and anxiety, how do you live? Yeah. You know, and that, that, I think that's where that really spoke to me is like, I don't want to die. I just don't know how to fucking live anymore. Like this society that we live in, the pressures that we have, the, in the Western society, the boxes, the perception of boxes we have to check, you know, you go to school from, you know, kindergarten to 12th grade and then you go to college and then you have a family and you get a fucking dog and you do all these things. And like, there's these boxes that you check and I fucking checked all those damn boxes and I was miserable as shit for the longest fucking time. <laughs> but I couldn't realize it because on paper I looked good. I did all the things, right? And so, you know, there's that, that, that expectation that we feel we need to live up to at times. And again, like, who's, who's holding that expectation? Who's sitting over you with a fucking, with a, with a red p pencil, checking off the things that you're supposed to be doing and giving you real red X's for the shit you fucked up on? My wife. Okay, yeah, Natalie, definitely. <laughs> Sorry, Nat, yes, put you on blast. <laughs> but, you know, there's like, the, you know, I'd say this in yoga classes. You know, I'm a yoga instructor outside of this. And, um, you know, 
the only thing I tell people is like, you, all you have to do is breathe. Mm. Right? Nobody's keeping track of how many chaturangas you do. Nobody's keeping track of like how long you just held that crow pose. Nobody's keeping track of any of that shit except for maybe you. Right. So get that out of your head. Nobody's grading you. Like just be here in your own personal moment. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I want to touch on what you were talking about with this mental fatigue. Um, you know, we, when you look at suicide in and of itself, it's the 10th, I think it's the 10th leading cause in death every year. Mm. And it's around, I think 50,000, somewhere in there, 40 to 50,000, 40 to 50, 40, yep. 40 to 50,000. Um, and you had said something that's kind of poetic where it's like, well, I'm trying to answer all these questions of like how I want to live my life or like what, what is, how do I get out of this in my own head? Think about that for a second. Yeah. Like I'm trying to fix my own head yep. with my own head. Yep. And, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it sounds almost, you know, cliche, but at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, you've been wrestling with these thoughts, whether it's this wicked anxiety of not being able to leave your house, whether it's major depressive disorder where you have a significant amount or a significant less amount of dopamine and serotonin flowing around in your brain, mm-hmm. whether it's trauma, whether it's, you know, isolation or whether it's just whatever it is. Right. Um, that coupled with this, you know, this world that we're living in now with COVID where you're just supposed to be on your own in quarantine. Right. And not around other people. Right. That kind of just forms into this perfect storm. Right. Yes. And so then you're left with, well, I'm a lesser person if I ask for help. Right. There's a narrative out there and that's not for everybody, but there's a narrative out there that coincides with like if I admit something's wrong with me or if I'm struggling, that means I can't figure out my own life on my own. Right. And so I'll lock it up. Right. I'll lock it up. Then I wonder why my whole life is a mess. Mm-hmm. Right. And the thing is, when people start talking about these suicide thoughts that start to come in, where, you know, maybe I'd just be better off gone. Don't really want to, but maybe I'd just be better off gone. Right. right? I'm not going to tell anyone that. Because then the cat's out of the bath. Right. Right. Yeah. Or then, you know, what are they going to think of me if I admit that I'm struggling mm-hmm. with this? When in reality, it's like you're so much more empowered when you're able to do it and yes. ask for help. Yeah. And there's this kind of, so you end up, you, you, you put it poetically where it's like you show the world one thing, right? There's this external sense of like who I am, mm. but internally I'm crying inside and I'm begging for somebody to help me. But I'm terrified to say that out loud. Right. And it just, and then so many people, it just goes left unchecked. And you can't, you know, we're not mind readers. And so... People get left to their own devices and they swim around in those thoughts. Those thoughts become too unbearable. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and I can honestly tell you, like, so many people have looked at me and, and told me, like, day after day, like, Adam, you got it. You got your shit put together. Like, one day I'm going to get my shit put together like you, you know, like, mm-hmm. really, you know. And I've held positions of, like, management, right, you know, in, in places where people, like, I have, quote, unquote, subordinates, you know, staff under me, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. And, and, you know, we tend to aggrandize our bosses in some kind of way, whether they deserve it or not, right? By no means am I saying, please aggrandize me. But, you know, but the, the people telling me that, like, oh, man, you got your shit together. Good for you, Adam. You had a kid at 23, and you're still going strong in careers and blah, blah, blah. So when you keep having that dialogue given around you, but internally you know it's not true, that deepens that desire to not be vulnerable, that, mm-hmm. that fear. Because it's like, well, shit, if I say no, wait, look at me. No, I actually don't have it together. I'm fucking crying on the inside. What's that going to do to the person that looks up to me? Well, that might give that person that looks up to you the freedom and vulnerability to say, hey, you know what? I'm kind of fucked up too. 
Like, that's great. Like, let's be fucked up together because, like, the perception that everybody has it together, that somebody above you has it together, that an age, at a certain age, I'll figure it out, right? My 40s, I'll 50s, I'll figure it out. Everything will start working. It doesn't work that way, Mm -hmm. right? And so, so, like, again, like that normalization of, like, just think of Jeff Bezos came out and said, hey, you know what? I have suicidal thoughts and I'm I'm working on it. But that's just a vulnerable thing that that I'm working through right now. How normal that would be for, like, a like billions of people to be like, Oh my God, wow. The richest man in the world. One of the richest people in the world has suicidal thoughts. I have suicidal thoughts. Oh my God. I'm not that different. Now we can all talk about that. We can put this out into an open instead of this, this thing of where it's this taboo. We don't talk about. Yeah. Um, the, uh, one of the things you said about, uh, thinking your way through it, that's one of the biggest traps that I get into all the time mm-hmm. is that I, I'm a thinker. I love thinking. I love knowledge. I love knowledge base. I love random knowledge, all this shit. And so my brain is constantly working and that's to my advantage and disadvantage. Uh, my brain needs to stop working sometimes or needs to take the back seat, and I don't need to listen to it all the time. But when I get to these disparaging problems, my brain is like, got it. We'll figure this out. And as dangerous as that is, because I know that that's when I need to get out. I need to bring people in. I need to get out of my own head. But my head is like, cool, love this problem. My subconscious is like, yep, got this. We'll think our way through this. And then all of a sudden, like weeks go by and I'm in this disparaging thought process of like, shit, I should have just turned to Monica or called you or somebody else, right? And said, hey, this is what I'm going through because that stops that cycle. And that gives you that, that, that separation of the thought patterns and process you've been in. Right? Mm-hmm. Because again, like our brain loves to think, loves those problem solving things. That's why we constantly get put into these situations again, because if we haven't solved the problem in our subconscious level, somehow we keep looking for those, you know, those, those triggers again and again and again and again. Yeah. And we wonder, why do I keep finding this type of person? Why do I keep finding this type of situation? Well, because your brain hasn't solved that problem yet. So it keeps putting itself in that, right? Your brain's an asshole. It is. It's your brain is not designed to be your friend. It is designed to tell you what is going wrong in your life, what you're not doing enough of. It is designed to compare and contrast and always tell you that you're not living up to your own, to all these expectations. If your brain was somebody that you'd want, like an actual person, would you hang out with them? No, dude, my fucking brain. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And so, I mean, there's so many different elements to this this conversation that kind of stem from like, well, what is, you know, what does your internal dialogue look like? Right. What are you saying to yourself on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. What's the first thing that pops up in the morning for you? Like, you know, and then kind of stemming out for like, how do you, you know, how do you set your day up? Mm. You know, what are you doing to kind of maintain your relationships or build on your relationships? Right. How is your relationship with yourself? Right? What is, you know, are you taking care of your body? Are you being, you know, all these different components that come into it, but mm-hmm. it, it all just kind of gets swept aside. Yeah. Right? Because we kind of get locked back in. Yep. My, uh, my youngest daughter's 13, and she has this, uh, this uh, habit that she's gotten into about like disparagingly talking about herself. Like, oh, I'm so lazy today, or, um, you know, just if there, wasn't, uh, if there wasn't bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck kind of idea, you know, stuff like that. She's kind of clumsy at times, you know, but she's a fucking child, right? She's figuring out her body, right? Our limbs grow on a daily basis when we're that age, right? So, yeah, you don't like the spatial awareness of what things are happening. Like, yeah, fucking people are clumsy. But she, she always, not always, but she has a disparaging way of talking about herself. And so the other day we were having a, a call and, uh, and she said, and I was like, oh, how's your day been? She's like, oh, I was lazy today. I didn't do anything. I'm trying to do something tomorrow. So I'm not so lazy. And I'm like, all right, look, I'm not, I don't want to be like, 
you know, I'm not trying to harp on you or anything. No pun intended. My daughter's name is Harper. Uh, not trying to <laughs> harp on you or anything, but you know, the, the way that we talk to ourselves is very important. And I kind of went to this little diatribe about like how, you know, the saying the word, Oh, I'm lazy. You might think it's funny, but your body doesn't recognize that it's funny. It recognizes that as like a traumatic response, right? You've just disparagingly talked about yourself. So that leads to thought patterns, that leads to speaking patterns, and then we end up speaking to ourselves in negative ways, and we don't even realize why we feel like shit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I'm, I told her, I'm like, take it from a 42-year-old man. I've been working on this now for at least 10 years to, to, to change this di dialogue and this narrative in my brain. And it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I've quit drugs, I've quit alcohol, I've quit all these things that are really, really fucking hard for the system to, to separate from. And mm -hmm. I had better luck with that than I have with just the stories that I tell myself in my fucking head, you know? And so, you know, and I, it's, you know, it's like you're 13, take it, take it for what it is, right? You know, I'm not going to sit over you and, and correct you every time you say something disparaging about yourself because then that'll become a trauma, right? And I don't want to have to fix that, right? Yeah. This is your self-work you need to be aware of. And it's, it's up to you to fix. You can either do it now or you can spend your 30s doing it, right? Yeah. No, and I – if somebody told me that when I was 13, I'd be like, dude, what? Right. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad you brought up the idea of, you know, this adolescence, right? Because mm -hmm. there is um, – you know, we haven't got – in terms of the colleagues that I talked to, we had, there hasn't been a lot of research within the, our field now that has come to fruition about the effects of COVID, Mm, right, yeah. the effects of of quarantine. You know, we can see that there has been a significant rise in terms of subjective reports of anxiety and depression when people are seeking out counseling. Um, there has been a rise of twenty two percent over the last two years. Each year, I think it was like twenty two, and then twenty four for demand for mental health therapists. Wow. Right, <clears throat> and in this world, right, it affects everybody. Mm -hmm. But from a standpoint of interpersonal relationships and building you know, this kind of self-concept for yourself as a kid between the ages of, you know, 10 to 13 is massive. It's imperative that you be able to take what you modeled from your parents in that relationship and then, you know, flip it to this, you know, the, to your peers, right? That's right. kind of the stages. Piaget is a really great developmental psychologist. And he talks about between 6 to 12 is like when you're talking, you know, when you're identifying with your parents and, you know, how that relationship works. And mm -hmm. then from 12 to 18 is like, no, I don't want to hang out with your dad or I don't, you know, and you kind of go and hang out with your social group and you form these bonds. Right. And then there's this intimacy that kind of comes up because of puberty, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Now, when you look at that from the standpoint of COVID and this pandemic and this world is quarantine, well, we had all these people and all these kids and adolescents that were going through these stages and we said, Shoo! right, all that, you know, your, your basic natural development as a, as a person, as a human gets stunted and stopped. Mm. And now we're saying you have to stay inside, right? You have to avoid people, right? Being around people is bad or it's dangerous, right? right? Now, logically, that makes sense from a health standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to spread the virus, but from a psychosomatic standpoint, that child is saying, being around people is bad. Right. I can't talk to people, and let alone I can't see people, so I've got to go all inward, mm. right? And so now we're seeing the manifestation of that come out with a lot of self-harm, wow. right? And the risk of teen suicide has gone up significantly because we're yeah. just, you know, and then it was kind of thrown with the Zoom world, mm. right? And so that's the absence of actual human connection, right? And so we're basically, unfortunately, we were damned if you do, damned if you don't, because we didn't know how to handle it, right? you know, and kind of still don't in yeah, some right. parts but we won't get into that <laughs> yeah. but we're basically telling these kids you know like at this crucial stage in your life go lock yourself in your room right we're in a, in a way so 
I know this is a, a, a separate type of disease, you know, suicide isn't really a disease, but the mental, mental awareness around it, maybe mental health around it could be a, considered a disease, but um, cancer, right? So cancer is a disease that's, that's pretty much man-made, you know, there wasn't really natural cancers, cancers like, you know, from the foods we eat, processed foods and stuff like that, chemicals that we've created, all this stuff. Um, there was a scientist I, I was listening to long, uh, a little while ago, and he was saying the cancer was the very first, the very first uh, sign of cancer happened when the first person put up a fence around their property. Mm. Because that's what separation. cancer is, separation, right? <clears throat> so when we separate ourselves from, like, so cancer at a, at a broad base level is when a cell doesn't realize that there's other cells around it, so it's like, shit, I'm the only one left pulls all the nutrients to that cell and it starts growing and that's where the tumors come from, right? So uh, cancer is basically a sign of separation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we put that first fence up around our property, we separated ourselves from the rest of the world and said, no, this is my property, get the fuck away. You can't be on my property. Mm -hmm. You know, and now, you know, we keep having this, this is mine, this is not yours, this is mine. We keep having this separation. And, you know, for COVID, right, so that whole mentality with COVID where it's now like, okay, no, you cannot be around people. You've got to separate. Now we're mandating separation. Maybe if you have a family, you can quarantine with your family or whatever that is. But a lot of people were in their own apartments without yards, you know, without like anywhere to go. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in, in abusive situations, right, where there's child abuse going on, domestic violence going on, all this stuff. And they were having to be in this household and this melting pot of this, this despair that's happening. Right? So you have this like idea of this cancerousness that's happening by separating everybody. And then we're, there's this negative overtone of mentality with despair, anxiety, depression, because we don't know what the fuck's going on. We don't know if we should wear a mask or not wear a mask. I fucking drink bleach or should I drink hydrogen peroxide? And like, I don't know what the fuck's going on, right? There's all this information coming in from all levels of people that we think we should trust to people that are like, I would never trust you because of the way you look, the way you act or whatever it is, right? But then like, the person from the CDC ends up having the biggest load of bullshit and the person that you would never even look at sideways or look at twice had all the answers that maybe you should have listened to, right? So there's like, there's so much that's happening in our world that creates this separation and this mistrust and this, all these ideas that it's not really surprising that, you know, suicide rates between the ages of, uh, I think it was 10 to 34 went up during COVID, sure. you know, because there's like that, that's where our mentality is still being developed. You know, ages of 10, we're still figuring out, like you were talking about, we're, you know, uh, con conversing with our parents, trying to learn social cues from our parents. And then, so we can turn around and use those social cues in, in humanity. Yeah. But if we're not getting social cues from anybody, you know, then how the hell are we going to pr uh, progress in humanity? How are we going to be a part of humanity? Yeah. You know, so now there's that, that internalness of like, oh, there's this, I'm going to think my way through this, which doesn't seem to be working. No, and it doesn't. And, and, you know, it's, there's so many different faucets too that are kind of magnifying that issue in terms of this, this specifically, if we look at isolation, depression, and anxiety, right? Usually they kind of, they will rotate within, mm -hmm. within themselves. Um, and if you're kind of looking at it from this topic of suicide, right? There is this idea that people are, they're internalizing all this kind of, this trauma that's coming in from the outside world and the language that they see in social media or what they can't do or the people they can't be around. And so they get stuck in their own head, mm. right? And when, obviously we've talked about it because our brains are so damn evil, right? They will, when, especially for kids in, in, in adolescence, well, anybody really, but if we're talking about adolescence specifically, like they will get inside their own head and then they will say, I am alone mm. and I can't relate to anybody. I'm different, I'm less than, right? Nobody knows what I'm going through. 
but I can't, I don't, I can't talk to anyone. I'm not going to tell mom or dad. Right. I don't know, you know, I don't, my relationships with my friends, what am I going to say to them? They, they won't understand. Right. And so it, it starts to manifest itself in early substance use. Um, it starts to manifest, manifest itself in extreme isolation and depression, locking yourself away or even self harm hmm. or to the point where they start developing. Well, I just don't want to be here. Right. I want to die. Yeah. I don't want these thoughts anymore, but I'm not going to tell anyone hmm. I can't. And so that's, you know, then the, the, that leads to the means or the plans or the, you know, the intention behind it. And it's, it's, it's such a tragedy. And I was working at, I won't say the clinic's name, but I was working at a clinic for six months where it was really a high risk population mm. and, um, ranging from all the way from 12 years old to 60, right. And there's different cohorts or different, you know, different groups, um, and seeing the adolescents there, mm. right. And they would go through and they do, they do these dialogue, diary cards each day, which would be like, well, what's, what's your emotional state? And several of the components were like, have you had any thoughts of self-harm, suicide ideation, right? Or did you act and did you act on any of those impulses mm -hmm. or violence, self-harm, um, or suicide, right? And it's a yes or no. And then like, what happened? And each day you see these, they come in and it's like, well, rated on a one to five. What's your impulse? Like what's, you know, and, and some people would just be like their baseline would be five, five, five every day, but they wouldn't act on it. But it's mm -hmm. the fives continue, which tells you, okay, so they're not acting on it, but they have this language in their head all day, mm. every day, that I don't want to be here. Right. And then their parents will reach out to clinicians and say, what, you know, what's going on with my kid? Like, I can't help my kid. What do I say to my kid? And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's so heartbreaking, right? And, and then you can't help but look at the correlation between what we've gone through as a society over the last couple of years in terms of everybody locking their shit up. And now as we're starting to come out of it, we're thrusting these kids, we're thrusting people back into this world where they have no idea how to act. Right. They have, and so it's a, such a panic and your body goes into this hypervigilant state, which is saying I'm in danger because I don't know how to form relationships. I don't know how to communicate with people. And I sure as hell don't know how to talk about my emotions or what's going on in my own head. Wow. And so it's a constant state of hypervigilance, which then leads to, I gotta get the fuck out. Yeah. I gotta check, I gotta get out. Wow. Do you think uh, schools are aware of this or have like, therapists there that can help like school counselors that can help with this stuff or is this I think they are but they're just so overloaded yeah we're so and we're still at this stand you know and I don't want to get <laughs> I don't want to get too into it because right. I know where it can go but there's the you know half the population isn't really addressing it because it's like it doesn't exist if you will right right and the other half of the population is stressed and trying to manage it with all these relations with their kids excuse me within schools or with, within families, right. you know, that coupled with the demand in our field, you know, there's just, there's too many people for not enough clinicians. Yeah. And so unfortunately, and this is why we have to have these conversations and this, 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 thankfully this month of awareness, which should be every month. Right. But you know, a lot of it, unfortunately just says, I, you know, I'm overbooked. I can't, I can't help you. And it kind of just gets, it falls by the wayside. Yeah. But it kind of seems too like a lot of this stuff is kind of being just shifted to the school. Like, oh, the schools will take care of that. Yeah. Like that's fine. We got counselors for that. But is that really what's happening? You know? I don't think so. Um, but I also think from a parental standpoint, you know, there's parents that don't know what to do. Right. How do I talk to my kids? I don't you know, and I've, I don't want to obviously make this all about adolescents, but it's a very big population, yeah. you know, and the parents themselves or other individuals 
may not even, you know, they're in the same boat. Well, like, I don't even know how to regulate my emotions or my right. thoughts or like I'm still struggling with this narrative and, and, and trying to figure out what my life means now. Mm-hmm. That coupled with, the, in the last couple of years, the financial insecurity that has happened with people losing their jobs, some people can't afford their, you know, rent or they can't afford their mortgage. And so all that your body takes on, your mind takes on, mm-hmm. right? And so no wonder when, you know, the loss of relationships or the loss of loved ones or the loss of the job, you go down a road and you start thinking that the only solution is to check out. Right. You yeah. know? And that's, it kind of goes back to that, that comment you had earlier about people having it together. You know, it's yeah. like the people that have it together. Nobody's got it together, right? Even the people that fit, like theoretically have it together on paper or whatever, like there's still shit that they're fucking dealing with, you know? So like we get to that mentality of like, oh, like I've, I'm 50 years old. I've had a house this entire time. I've, I've raised my family and now I can't. What happened? What, when that left turn happened? Like, yeah. what, what just, what, what is this? What is this mental state that I'm in? You know, and it doesn't seem like you can come back from that stuff, you know, because everybody's looking up to you or they have this like, hope that you've got it figured out you're the anchor you're the thing whatever it is and then all of a sudden it falls apart yeah well shit where who's my anchor you know and so that and then that's where those those the actions start to happen you know with those thoughts yeah yeah that's um and so with uh with like how do people how would you say if you're that scared like how do people approach it like what's the first step and just like just of bringing awareness to yourself so that you can bring awareness to somebody else I think you got to get honest with yourself and realize what's going on. Yeah. You know, um, I think we kind of get so swept up and just, if I can't see it, it's not there. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like denying that that's like your actual true feelings because you feel like you got to put on a show yeah. or you got to put on a face. And so there's kind of this level of step one is this kind of world of acceptance of like, this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Right. Before any change can happen, you got to kind of figure out where you are. Right. Right. There's an analogy that I like to use, which one of my <laughs> one of my people that I work with just hates on it, but I love it. Yeah. Right. Like somebody asks you directions to your house. Right. The first question is, well, where are you coming from? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. You have the goal. You have your destination. And it's like, well, what you know, the destination in this matter and goal is like, I want to, you know, I want to be alive. I want to, you know, get well. Mm-hmm. Well, where are you starting from? Because before you do all this work, you got to figure out like, yeah, this is what I'm struggling with. And when you're able to get honest with yourself, that's when you can start to get honest with other people. You know, stop worrying about trying to put on the face. Hmm. Stop trying to worry about the denial. Yeah. It's obviously not working. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's also the empowerment that comes with this. Right. Changing the way you view life and changing the way that you behave and you interact with people starts with your relationship with yourself. Right. And if you can start to make any movement in that capacity, whether it's, this is what I'm struggling with. Okay. Check what's next. What do I do now? Hmm. Right. And the big thing with that is, is there a willingness? Yeah. Cause if there's not a willingness and it's just resigned to the fact of like, yeah, I accept it, but fuck it. I'm, you know, I've already made up my mind. Right. Then it's a different set of ball, you know, a different ball game yeah. altogether. But if there's a willingness for somebody to say, yep, I'm having these thoughts where I want to harm myself or I want to, I want to, you know, attempt suicide or I want to die, but I also want to live. So mm-hmm. now I'm at a crossroads, but now where do I go from here? Right. That's one of the, um, the statistics that, the, that really kind of jarred me when I started reading about this is the people that the survivors of suicide, <clears throat> uh, the first thought that they have after they've committed the act, whether it's, you know, knife on skin or handful of pills, whatever it is, 
the 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 first thought uh, from the, that's been reported is, oh my god, I can't believe I just did that. Yeah. Oh fuck. Oh mm-hmm. my god. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like that that moment of clarity finally hits. Of like, I can't go back to this. I can't come back from this. Holy shit! Like this mm-hmm. is that's deep. That cuts deep. Oh my god, that handful of pills. Like uh, you know, so mm-hmm. you know, th- I think that is kind of hopeful in a way. You know, because when push comes to shove, yes, you might have the final. Um, you know, that, that moment where it's like, fuck it, I'm going to pull the trigger, you know? And, and that's why guns, like, uh, that's one of my things about guns in the household. Like I'm not against guns. I don't personally use them, but for guns, for me, like it's, it's too easy, right? If there's like a disparaging thought or a moment of despair, whoa, whatever it is, it's too easy to grab a thing and just pull the trigger. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, other, other modalities, it's still, you could still die, but it, there's time involved. Um, so, but having that that thought of like shit i can't believe i just did that yeah you know and that's that's that moment of clarity of like okay no i do have something to live for i do want to live i do want to figure this out hopefully i can come back from this yeah and i think there's a element there too of like you know being able to and i think there's a sense of clarity that comes with people once they kind of attempt and then it it fails right and one of two things happens either they try again Mm -hmm. and they complete right or they kind of have this epiphany of like this is how you know how far down i've gone yeah where you know like how do i get out of this right and so then you're able to see you're right a lot of things that are kind of what we call life worth living goals mm-hmm. right and some people it's family some people it's they want to go to college some people it's their partner some people it's whatever it is right and those often kind of get lost in the mire in the mud and just kind of overshadow with all the negative thoughts of what they aren't enough of right or what's going on or the pain, right? So you're right, that does become kind of evident and clear, but a part of it is, okay, well, how can we take that and tr- retrace our steps and start to implement that at the beginning stages of this? Mm. So we don't end up having to wait until it's almost too late to realize that, that those are there. Right. So a lot of it is kind of this, you know, work with people in terms of either, uh, there's a modality called dialectical behavioral therapy, which mm-hmm. really works for high-risk populations, cognitive behavioral therapy and cognitive processing theory, um, which is talking about, well, how can we start to reframe thoughts through communication and dialogue and through therapy or through trusted friends or whatever to reframe your thoughts so you can start to instill these life-worth-living goals mm-hmm. or these things that you already have in your life or things that you want to do and start to really kind of hammer in on a day-to-day basis those for you. Right. You know, so you can start to shift the way that you start to see the world and that you see yourself. Because mm. going back to it, like I said, those just get thrown right. away. That's, you know, that's one of the things that's really helped me in, in the past probably five years is uh, gratitude practice. And, yes. you know, having, when I wake up in the morning, I meditate, uh, and I, I set, you know, state my gratitude, or what, I'm, what I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. And when I go to bed, I usually fall asleep with my gratitude practice. Like, thankful for Monica, thankful for the podcast, thankful for yoga, all the things, yeah. right? And that's why I love falling asleep that way because you fall asleep like being grateful and like loving the things that you love about life. Um, but sometimes like we, we, we can't see that, you know. And so it does take that, that step of vulnerability of saying like this is what's going on with me to mm-hmm. help, help somebody kind of flush out that gratitude practice or that, that thankfulness that you have in your own yeah. life, you know. Because we can get to those points where we can't see past the fog. And yeah. everything is just despair and, and, and just terrible and horrible and we can't get out, we can't take a breath. But when somebody can reframe that, like you were saying, you know, and, and give you 
the opportunity to to look at your life and the successes that you have and, and success is, is self-defined you know like success could be like having ten dollars in your bank account like that's that's a plus right you're you're in the For a lot of people right? out there yeah you know so uh, so don't don't discount what your successes can be and how you can find those successes because that's what's you know that's that's your own barometer and i like that you said that even the, the ten dollar analogy um you know because i've you know, I'll just be, because you were vulnerable, I'll be vulnerable too. You know, I've not only had thoughts, but I, when I was 14 or 15, I, I made an attempt. Okay. You know, and failed, mm. obviously, because here I am. Right. Um, you know, but in my mind at the time, um, there was this kind of world that I was living in with my parents. You know, they had gone through a divorce and they'd remarried. And so there was a lot of different, um, you know, there was a lot of blended family going on there. And, and yeah. you know, but a lot of it was like we're talking about, like I was in this world with myself of thinking I'm not good enough or I'm not wanted or maybe this is my fault or the things that I was doing in my life at the time, um, you know, were a reflection on like me as a shitty person, mm. right? But I, it was all narratives in my head. It was all conversations in my head. Right. Now, was there anything that my parents did or did not do? Absolutely not because it was, you know, it was what I was viewing myself as. And, you know, so I made this attempt and, and failed and it was, you know, moderately humorous. I won't go into it, but it was, it was, it was not, not well thought out yeah. at all. Right. But there was a kind of a moment afterwards where it was just like, I kind of, I thought to myself, fuck, I can't even do that right. So I was like, yep. well, nowhere to go but up here, you know? And so then I, uh, you know, I started kind of being more open with my parents and what was going on and talking about things. And, you know, I started getting really into music, but, um, there was a period in my life where that was a way out hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, but it, that, and again, once that kind of failed, I was able to kind of start to integrate these things in my life that I didn't know were there, but I had them. Yeah. I couldn't see them. Right. Mm. Um, and so a lot of it too, I think with, with where we're at now is that we have to get past, we have to get past in our society where it's looked at as a negative, right? Like if you have these thoughts that does not define you. Right. My God, it doesn't define you. Mm. Thank you for saying something. And also on the receiving end, we have to, as people, we have, in, with our relationships, with our family, we have to start, we have to stop listening to the response of I'm fine. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And we have to really start asking questions and to actually start engaging with each other on a, it doesn't have to be a profound like level where we're going to fucking, you know, meditating with Buddha. Yeah. Right. But like, just as like, what, you know, are you sad? Are you struggling with anything? Yeah. Are you happy? How's your life going? Right? Like in creating a more open conversation rather than like, hey, what's up? How are you doing? Fine. Fine to me. That's a danger word. Yep. Yep. And I'm, I'm very, I'm a big proponent of I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Figure it out. I'm fine. And that's, that's been a dialogue wah, for my, wah, right? Wah. Uh, every time, you know, and it's, uh, when I say I'm fine, it's like, that's me trying to think my way through something that I'm not going to, it's not going to work, you know? And, and that's, that's, you know, a trigger for me now and an identifier for me, um, to, to really look at, well, I'm not fine. Yeah. And, you know, Mon and I have been together long enough now that she knows that is a trigger too and be like, but, but what, you know, what's, what's really going on, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and as annoying as that is, because a lot of times, like I used to adapt to the moniker of like, I'm fine, but what's wrong? I'm fine. But what's wrong? Well, I was fine until you kept fucking asking me what was wrong <laughs> yeah. all the time. And now I'm pissed. Well, no, I'm not really pissed because of that. I'm pissed because now I have to identify what is actually I'm not fine about. And I have to openly talk about it. Yeah. You know, and so like that's, those are those moments where I like, I need to have that, you know, I need to have that probe 
And I think as a society, my, one of my buddies, uh, you know, we worked in restaurants. You and I worked in restaurants for a long time. And, uh, you know, you go up to a table and like, hey, guys, my name's Adam. Welcome to whatever. How are you today? And let's say somebody at the table is like, oh, you know, today was yeah, kind of a good day. I had stuck in traffic for a long time and, you know, dog had to throw up. I had to take it to the vet, blah, blah, blah. And you're just sitting there like, why the fuck is this person telling me about their day? <laughs> you asked them, right? You said, how's your day going, right? Now, not everybody's going to give you the full-on answer of how their day is, but you ask the question, so be ready for the fucking answer, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that you know the annoyance that we feel from people that actually honestly, earnestly answer those questions, we really need to get used to that because, like the like you were saying, the fine shit. Like we need to get better about probing and not just accepting for face value. Like, oh, that's okay, cool, they're fine. Yeah, you know, no, they're not right, and so like it doesn't have to be every single person. It doesn't have to be like the random person you see on the street, but it also could be. You know, it could be. The the, the I can't tell you how many times I've gone up to like a person on the street and like a, a homeless person, and said, "Okay, hey, how's it going? How's your day been?" And they look at me like I'm fucking with them, but then we end up having a twenty minute conversation about like what's going on with them as a human being because for the past like however many years, months, whatever it is, they've been looked at as trash. Or not, not as a human being, right? Nobody's given them the time of day. They've barely given them change, right? So sometimes, like, we just need somebody to, like, look at us in the eye as a human being and care about us as a person and really mean, how are you? You have no idea that the, just in those, those moments like that or those experiences can drastically, that can save a life. Hmm. For all you knew, that person or whoever, like, you know, if you're listening, if, like, just by asking, like, an actual like heartfelt question and checking in with somebody that person could have already had a plan that night to go home and commit suicide. Right. Right. And so it's like, we have to be able to kind of get out of here, our own head, get out of our own bodies, mm. right. Our own heart and to kind of like engage with somebody else and to really check in with them, you know, and if you have a thousand people that like with their inner circle and their family, all kind of creating this dialogue that's safe and open and honest, that then, just ripples out. Yeah. You know, we got to get out of our own, the resistance in our own head and our own discomfort. Yeah. And be willing to check in with people and to actually see what the hell's going on in their life. Yeah. You had mentioned something about, um, uh, like a training or like how we prepared for this. Mm. Um, there's a, you know, most, most people are CPR certified in some kind of state or some kind of way, you know, whether it's through their job they have to do or, you know, but a lot of people understand like CPR and, you know, basic first aid and all that shit. Right? Online. Online. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I went to DeVry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to DeVry. I graduated. Uh, but there is actually, so there is a, uh, a type of uh, suicide prevention training. Uh, there's two out there I found. One's called self-talk and one's called the assist training. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, having those as, as regular, um, regular trainings for people in, in workplaces, right? Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many times I had to go through, uh, sensitivity training as a manager or, you know, sexual harassment trainings, uh, first aid stuff, you know, all that stuff. Like it's, it's standard operating procedures, you know, even now, like fuck, you know, and you, you know, think about what you want, but you know, critical race theory is now being trained into corporations, right? So sure. now we're getting as outside of the box as, you know, whatever you want to call it. But so I, I would hope that a lot of that these type of trainings would start to make their way in as well, because I can tell you, like, 
I've had people reach out to me that were suicidal that 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 I was their boss, you know, and then they would reach out to me, and I'd have those moments and talks with them. Yeah. Um, luckily, I was trained into like how to talk to humans and how to have conversations, and I wasn't you know never never trained in like suicide prevention, but you know how to hold space for a human being, how to treat them like a human being, how to how to actively listen so that they feel heard, and that you're not just shoving your advice down their throat, you know, like the holding of space, right? Um, that was gifted to me, right? That's not a regularly trained thing, right? So I would love to see this type of training be put into those workplaces. Yes. Not to put that on the boss and say, like, you know, you're going to solve their problems. But in the world we live in, we spend more time at work than we do in our families and, and at home, right? If you have a family. But, you know, we're, we're spending, you know, anywhere from 8 to 12 hours a day at work. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe finding time to decompress for a couple hours, whether it's through drugs, alcohol, watching TV, running, exercise, whatever it is, whatever your modality is. And then turning right back around and doing it again the fucking next day. Yeah. Praying for a weekend so you can actually have time off so you can reset and go back to work on a Monday or maybe you have to work that weekend. And it's like it's there's so much stress and anxiety and depression built into just our normal everyday living yeah. that I don't think we, we really realize how impactful um, properly training the people in our schools and our workplaces and things like that to handle this because that's where we're spending all of our time now. Yeah. No, and I agree with you. It's a, it's. It's interesting that you brought up the, the like the sexual harassment training and the you know and the and the sensitivity training mm -hmm. or the critical race you know all these things, and we're just now getting to a point you know thankfully with you know employee assistance programs or things like this or just awareness where it's like we're kind of getting to I think I'd like to think we're getting past the point where where it's it's not a hush hush topic anymore. Yeah. Right. And so being able to kind of like have things like that where like implementation into the workplace. I mean, it's, it would make a vast difference. Yeah. You know? What do you think about the, um, was it maybe in the past five years, they have the, the right to die states now? Yeah. You know, how do you think that's, that's impacted suicide? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, the right to die in the element is, is kind of in, well, how do I say this? The way that I look at that is obviously it's catered to elderly and people that have like got terminal illnesses, terminal, yeah. right? Um, and it gets into the will, you know, this this topic of autonomy over free will and like your own life, right? Right? You know, we I think suicide is still legal, isn't it? Yeah, you can't go to jail for it. You know, attempted suicides and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think it's a, in my opinion, I think it's affected suicide in a more healthy manner in terms of giving people the right to die on their own terms right. as it pertains to like if they're struggling with a terminal illness right i think that is a decision right that is based solely on the person that is struggling with it mm -hmm. i do not believe that i should have any say in terms of what you should do with that like i know if i had stage four cancer and i had a couple of months right and i had that opportunity right i would could possibly save my family the struggle of watching me in my final stages medical bills all these things right. right now with that as it pertains to suicide right there's i think you have to go through three different medical observations with doctors or clinicians or something like yeah, that yeah there's that. quite a process there's a right. quite a process so yeah. it's not like you can just you know on a tuesday be like all right let's go yeah <laughs> hook me up doc. <laughs> hook me up right <laughs> cartwheel out of bed we're it's all it's it's all done so I don't know in, you know, I, I think that there's other elements that have greatly affected suicide in terms of um, people having access to means, um, you know, the, the, the climate of their society now. Um, but I think I'm a big proponent of the right to die. Yeah. I am. Yep. 
I agree. I and uh, I'm, I'm I'm right there with you because I think you know I've heard so many uh, read so many reports in, in cases of people that chose to take their own life because they were terminal and they didn't want to deal with you know living out that terminality you know and, sure or you know the financial burden that they're going to put on people yeah um, so yeah there is you know and it is it is your life you know you do have the right to take it you know there are those per, those parameters set up there you know like you were saying you meet with a certain amount of doctors clinical pro- professionals to make sure that this is you understand the gravity of what you're doing and what you're working towards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, on the counter of that too, what I've, what I love about the age that we're in is that, you know, a lot of states have been, de- been de- decriminalizing plant medicines and, uh, you know, so pretty much all up and down the West coast now, uh, plant medicines have been <laughs> only took a couple hundred years. Yeah, exactly. You know, gross in the earth, but you can't have it. Sorry. Uh, but you know, so with, uh, uh, things like psilocybin, for example, so mushrooms, magic mushrooms, cubenzies, one of the things that they're finding with that that medicine is that it helps people with that acceptance of the end of life mm-hmm. right it gives you an understanding that you know whatever that religion spirituality that you have it enforces that and it under, you know so let's say that you believe in reincarnation so that journey will help you really deepen that understanding of what reincarnation is and give you the understanding that like this isn't all it. You're going to have something else. Sure. If you believe in religion, then, you know, that's like that idea of that like, you're going to go to heaven and be with God and have all the things that you need, right? Mm-hmm. So it really gives you that, that, that vision of what you're looking for to help release that anxiety of like, shit, I'm going to die. Yeah. You know, so, you know, as much as we have the way out now, the legal way out of, you know, you being able to take your own life if you need to, you know, there's the parameters, but there's also the medicine that will show you how beautiful the remainder of this life can be and how you can accept that and be there with present with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones and exit in a graceful way. You know, Mm -hmm. so there's like the dichotomy between the two. Yes. You can take, you can take a legal way out now, but there's also this medicine that might help you like show you something more beautiful that you never saw before well it's it's also i mean like it, when we and i like that you brought that up and the first thing that came to my mind was like palliative care with death doulas that they have now which yeah. are you know really you know from a holistic standpoint are really kind of gaining some traction um but it's the same you know concept of like if if i've tried chemo and i've tried all these things I'm, we're using cancer as an example but like mm-hmm. and it's not worked i can have the choice to go home and just you know palliative care yeah. How is that different from right to die? Right. Yeah. You know, like I don't, and, and so I don't, there's, it's discrepancy there where it's like we can, we can allow this and encourage this and give you a private nurse and get you set up at your house. But at the same time, you can't make the decision on this hand Yeah. to do it. Like it's just, it's all. Yeah. I think we're, you're, we're finally getting to a point to where we can look at and see how kind of, I don't know if absurd is the right word, but maybe just. Things just don't really match up the way they used to. Like what used to make sense doesn't now make sense. You know, we, we, we used to not have a mentality for it or maybe a medical procedure for it or whatever the case is. But as we grow as a society and as we adjust, we adapt to that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think one of the things, one of the biggest arguments about the, the lack of adaptation for uh, systems is the government, right? You know, so... We have now, we have smartphones. Everybody's got a smartphone. You can go to freaking like third world countries and a lot of those folks have smartphones now. Some kind of connection to an internet, some kind of thing, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But we still have to, let's say in America, we still have to go to a ballot box or write in our ballot and mail it, right? We don't have the ability to just 
access the phone that we have and say, yes, I want to vote for that person. I want to vote for that, you know, that, that junction. I want to vote for that bridge to be built. I don't want to vote for that bridge to be built. I want to defer that back to my, my congressional member, right? No, I don't want to take my time. I'm going to defer to my senator, right? We, we have the abilities to do all this shit, but we're not capitalizing on it in a, from that government standpoint. It's still cumbersome. It's still awkward. It's still fucking just abusive at times, really. Yep. Um, and, but you know, that, that same mentality, like how stagnant it's been to get to a point to where we understand it needs to be done. I think we're finally getting to a point as a society where we can really nit, nitpick on all these things and start to really understand like what's working for us and what's not. Mental health is not working for us right now because as much as we put a focus on mental health, the, the, the world that we've created to live in is the antithesis of mental health. Like we've done everything from the 1970s. If you look at like Chomsky and Bukowski with their writings, you know, all the stuff that we've done and, and invented since the 70s has theoretically been to make our lives easier. Emails, phone, voicemails, right? Way before emails, voicemails, right? Mm -hmm. We could just like leave a we could leave a message now, answering fucking machines, right? All this stuff was meant to set up so we could release the ability to have to be on the job all the fucking time. Yeah. But we've integrated all of these systems, text message, emails, fucking voice, uh, uh, FaceTime now, like Zoom calls, all this shit. We've now integrated it into being part of our life. Hell, working from home used to be like, no, nobody can work from home. We don't want to do that. Now it's like everybody work from home because now we figured out that if you work from home, you're always fucking working. You're always going to answer that email. You're always going to answer that text message. You're always going to try to get that last piece done because it's done before tomorrow. But guess what? Tomorrow's stack of papers is going to be fucking twice as big. You're not getting in front of anything. Yeah. Right? So we're just continuously like using all this technology that we've developed to dive us deeper into this mental catastrophe that we're in. You know, And I think what now we're finally getting to a point to where we can zoom out and look and say we're, we're not in a good place no we're not in a fucking healthy place and the only not only but the majority of people that are fighting for this stagnation of systems are the people that are currently in the offices or in the the play of that stagnation now we have these millennials that are coming up and these people that are coming through that have different mentalities that have you know maybe they spend a lot of time in their video games but video game mentality is very different than real world mentality you can manipulate video games a lot Maybe not differently, but a more noticeable way than you can manipulate reality. Yeah. So you have this wave of kids and young adults that are starting to come up that just do not fucking accept what's going on right now. Living, like just working to live and not living to, you know, living to live. You know, I, yeah, I'll work like 20 hours a week so I can have a paycheck and have some shit to do. But working 60 hours a week so that you don't have any fucking time to do anything outside of just getting prepared to go back to work. Right? So... The mentality, I think we're finally getting to a point to where we understand it's not healthy. we got to do something about it. So hopefully, you know, all of this encompassingness, you know, will start to be addressed. Yeah. You know, in some kind of like holistic way where we can look at the human being and not the benefit of what that human being can offer. Show's over. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing more to add. No, I think <laughs> I 100% agree. I mean, I don't know how I can explain it. It was beautifully put. Um you know, I, I, I think now, you know, where we're at, it's, it's a tragedy in terms of how long it's taken us to get here, to realize that shit's not working. Yeah. 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 And it's not, you know, but, you know, there's, but it gives me hope to know that there's people like yourself that, that can turn to, that is clinical therapists that, that we can turn to. Um, 
But I think one of the, the biggest things that I want to kind of leave everybody with with this is it doesn't have to be a person with alphabet letters after their names, no. right? It doesn't have to be somebody that's that's got the degrees, right? That right. has all the, it can be your fucking friend. It can be your bartender. I mean, I honestly, like I can tell you how many people have opened up to me when I was a bartender, the mm-hmm. random face that just pours cocktails mm-hmm. sitting at the end of the bar on a dark, uh, empty Wednesday night. And all of a sudden, like, I'm your therapist. Yeah. And that's fine. Right. You know, you utilize whoever's around you because maybe you just need to get the shit off your chest. I would agree. I mean, a hundred percent. I think the biggest thing that like, you know, people can really grasp with this. It's like, if you just acknowledge that you need help, my God, you have come leaps and bounds Mm. and you, you have just made massive strides in just being able to take one step forward. Right. It is not, at all you are not a lesser person for asking for help it is not a reflection of you not being able to handle life it just means that you want something better for your life Mm. and i can't tell you how many people that like you know i've seen gone come and go and then not come back Mm -hmm. because they buried it and they thought that i don't want to bother anybody with what's going on yep and so there's hotlines out there the 988 there's a suicide hotline there's therapists, there's employee, employee assistance programs, there's free groups out there, you know, there's family members, there's friends. It doesn't matter. Yeah. If you just take that one step and get out of your own head, my God, you'll, you, it will do wonders for you. Yes, most definitely. Def, I, thank you for that. Thank you for that. So, uh, yeah, find your help. Be vulnerable. Admit that you that that there's something that you need help with. Yeah. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely you know, nothing wrong. And it makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate you, uh, your wisdom, uh, your vulnerability, and uh, look forward to having you back, man. This is yeah. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Stay safe. Yeah. Love you, brother. Love you too. Thank you so much for spending time with Chris and I. If you are in need, there are suicide prevention hotlines. There's also the number 988 that you can call to get help. Um, Talk to a friend, talk to a loved one, talk to your random person on the street. Give us an opportunity. Give somebody an opportunity to help you. Your life is worth living. No basis in love. We'll see you next time.